Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking about emotional cheating. Yeah, basically when that work spouse we talked about last time, maybe things go a little too far. Or you've got a friend that you start confiding in more and more and more, Mm -hmm. and suddenly that friend starts looking more and more attractive. Yeah, but you're not like getting naked together, but you're just having these long, deep conversations and really connecting and confiding and bonding. And slowly abandoning your own relationship. Yeah. I mean, this is such a rich topic to talk about because we have um, a lot more emotional cheating capabilities than we used to, thanks to social media, which we'll get into, but also because it's one of those areas in long-term relationships where you have to be so honest with yourself because it's easy to make excuses to yourself or to your partner, to whomever, that, oh, no, this, this isn't problematic at all because it's not like we're kissing, we aren't having sex. We're just talking a lot. We're just like going to lunch every day. I'm just kind of in love with her. <laughs> oh, no. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of self-preservation delusion that goes on. During a lot of emotional affairs that keeps them going. Well, this is also one of those things that comes up all the time in terms of gender and cheating. Mm -hmm. The whole uh, assumption that men will be more jealous of physical cheating of someone having sex with another person, whereas women are more jealous of emotional affairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll get into that some, but... Uh, let's go ahead and put it out there. Do you are are you familiar with emotional affairs? Do you know anyone who has had an emotional affair? Um, a friend of mine, um, a very good friend of mine, was in the danger zone a couple years ago. Her high school. She's married, kids. She's been married to the same guy for a long time. Been with him for for a long time since high school, and a previous high school boyfriend resurfaced, having some marriage trouble. He reaches out to her. They start up like a Facebook back and forth. Side note, and we will get more into this in a little bit, but Facebook is cited in a massive number of divorces. So anyway, I knew that. I had all my podcasty research in my brain as she's telling me about this. And, you know, she's doing the the total stereotype, like everything's fine. We're just talking all the time, this woman with her children, with her full time job, she was literally like giving up sleep to get into these long, drawn out Facebook, email, text conversations, not to mention like on the phone conversations, not only like counseling him as he was going through this rough patch in his marriage, but like confiding in him about a lot of stuff. And I was like, you've got it. You've got to stop. Like, I know that you're really happy to be back in touch with someone from your past. He was a nice guy back when we knew him. That was a long time ago. Um, you guys are both married and you you are confiding really personal things in him that he doesn't need to know, frankly. And um, she basically said that, uh, well, just, you know, it feels good to talk, talk to someone aside from my husband about this stuff. 
And I mean, if I could have shown up at her house with like those airplane direction wands and be <laughs> like, no, stop, go the other way, I would have. Um, and things eventually cooled down. Luckily, she and her husband are great and fine and everything's fine. The other guy uh, did end up having an actual physical affair with someone else leaving his wife, and now he's with the woman that he had an affair with. Mm, danger zone city. Totally. But yeah, that's that's that, that dangerous ledge of like once you start forming that intimate bond with someone else and add the excitement of, of someone new relatively, um, that's a recipe for disaster. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, anecdotally, the emotional cheating that I've witnessed tends to follow a very similar pattern of reconnecting mm-hmm. with an ex, whether you sought them out because they're troubled waters in your own relationship or it just happens that you two ran into each other, whether offline or online. And there's something about those particular kinds of reconnections with an ex that gets so dangerous so fast because there is that sense of a false sense of intimacy that can arise where it's like, oh, I forgot I could talk to you like I couldn't talk to anybody else. Mm. And because as you're telling me this about your friend and how good it felt for her to say some of those things to someone other than her husband, the first thing I think is, well, where are your friends who you didn't date where things couldn't get complicated? Right. I mean, she was talking to you, but obviously there's that satisfaction that we derive from the attention that uh, that exes can give us. Not to say that emotional cheating only happens between exes, but I'm just saying I've seen it happen a lot. Yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that people can never be friends with their exes. Obviously, you know, obviously people can. Um, but that's that's just dangerous water. Yeah. Well, especially it all it seems to hinge on motivation where it's yeah. like, if you're suddenly talking to your ex again and things just so happen to be not so healthy at home, yeah. mm, might be a red flag. Practice, for just, yeah, practice some self-awareness. Yeah, check in with yourself. Um, so what are the hallmarks then of emotional affairs versus just having a close friendship? Because like you said, it is totally possible to be friends with your exes. If you are straight, you should be able to have opposite sex friendships, etc. But where does that line start to get blurry? Well, all right. So here are some things that hopefully should serve as an excellent uh, blowing up of any denial you're in. Um, so you avoid telling your significant other about the person and your interactions, which that sort of secrecy automatically makes you guys a unit. It automatically makes things a little more exciting. Uh, do you find yourself getting dressed up for that person, putting on a little more makeup, doing your hair a little bit nicer? Do you find yourself telling this other person about your day, your frustrations, your hopes and dreams, your fears and, and anger, whatever, rather than telling your significant other. And that's an important one because a lot of psychologists and researchers that we we read their stuff about this were saying that when you share those deep thoughts and fears and et cetera, that breeds this intimacy that can deepen those bonds and can lead you, like my friend, to start feeling like perhaps this person just gets you more than your significant other does. And that would probably open the door to 
maybe confiding in that person about your own relationship dissatisfaction. And then another moment to check yourself before you wreck yourself or your relationship, you start comparing that person to your significant other. So essentially, like, you're building an idealized version mm-hmm. of whoever this alleged friend is. Yeah, and because you're already in, like, total delusion land, it's easy to only see the pros of someone rather than the cons as well. Um, do you find yourself thinking obsessively about the person? And if you're like, well, no, I mean, of course, like, he's funny and, like, you know, whatever. Are you, do you think obsessively about your friends? Well, I guarantee- Caroline, I think about you all the time. Because <laughs> I guarantee you my my friend who was going through all that was not sitting around her house, like, obsessively thinking about when the next email from me was going to come in. Because, um, frankly, I don't email that often. Anyway, um, and the whole thing of, like, are you increasingly finding more justifications for your behavior or for continuing the relationship? Um, when you start feeling really defensive or entitled to this interaction, that's probably a bit of a red flag as well. Yeah, to pay attention to your own relationship, either if you need to get out of it or get it working again. Yeah, get it together. Get it together, people. Um, on the flip side of that, if you are with someone that you suspect might be engaged in this kind of emotional cheating, what are what are the kinds of things that you should pay attention to and kind of validate for yourself? Well, one thing to pay attention to is, are you starting to feel crazy? And I don't, I mean, I I say that sounds really flip, but like, are you starting to feel as though something is just off and something feels wrong? Maybe the, your, your spouse or significant other's acting a little differently and telling you nothing's wrong. That's called gaslighting. Um, your gut doesn't lie. And so even if you start to feel like something's off in your interaction, maybe ask, ask what's up. Um, and related to that is that you sense your partner isn't himself around you. Maybe he or she is getting something else from this person that he's having an emotional affair with. And he can be more playful with that person or more silly or more serious, whatever it is that he feels for whatever reason that he's not getting with you. And then, like, have you ever been in the situation, and this could totally be innocent, where you're like, well, how was your day, honey? And the person's like, oh, I mean, I already told Karen all about it. You're Karen? Like, you're like, Karen? Why are you telling Karen all about your day? I want to hear about your day. I'm your person. Also, rudest response. How was yeah. your day? Well, you know what? I already told Karen. So I'm, I'm sick of talking about it. Karen gets me. Just talk to Karen. But it's that idea of, like, oh, you already told someone all about your frustrations and and whatever you're not in you're not confiding in me as much and another big thing is sex feeling detached um diane gerhardt who's a professor of marriage and family therapy at california state university told red book magazine in april of 2015 that as the intensity of the emotional connection with this other person builds it detracts from the emotional connection in your own marriage and that can't help but affect what goes on physically and emotionally between you two. So there is a physical element to emotional cheating, but it's with your person and not this person who Mm -hmm. um, you are becoming attached to. And if you start noticing that (laughs) 
let's say your person keeps uh, bringing up Karen, God. comparing, you know, kind of in a way of comparing everything you do to what Karen does better, you know, like, you know, Karen loves uh, just she loves, loves hot dogs. Karen loves hot dogs. She can eat so many of them. Yeah, she's she's basically like a competitive food eater. Well, yeah, red flag. If you ever if your spouse ever talks about a coworker's eating habits, you get to that uh therapist ASAP. <laughs> um no, but on a serious note, I mean it's those kinds of things of, you know, person makes a joke and maybe you don't laugh and then your person's like, "Well, Karen thinks I'm funny." God, you know what? Karen you can just well maybe Karen doesn't know that this is going on maybe Karen's just like l- politely laughing oh yeah you know? maybe he's obsessed with Karen maybe, maybe Karen's oblivious maybe we need to warn Karen we gotta talk to Karen oh god oh, I'm sorry Karen I didn't mean to judge you Um, but so one of my favorite resources in the world is of course O Magazine of course if you know me you know it's sandwiches corgis and O Magazine and Gail Saltz who's a, a therapist, was writing a column about the danger zone that can prompt an emotional affair or kind of push you over that edge. And three sort of dangerous, <laughs> dangerous activities she lists are flirting with other people because you can you can get kind of hooked on that, that high of like the attention you get when you're flirting. Unless that's part of like you and your your person's oh, bag. No, that's good. Yeah. That's good if like you and your person are flirting. Well, no, I'm saying like if if you and your person oh. are into flirting with other people. Right. Well, but then that that requires communication and the whole thing with emotional infidelity is that you're hiding it. Exactly. So, if you are flirting with others in an intoxicating hidden secret fashion, stop it. Uh, two innocently spending time alone with old lovers. That's that whole denial thing. And three, hanging out with emotional cheaters who kind of normalize that behavior. This is the same thing Kristen and I have talked about before when it comes to, like, kids and smoking or, like, sexual activity from a young age or whatever. Like, if all your friends are doing it, you know, maybe you're still not sure, but if everybody around you is doing it, it seems more normal and acceptable and, like, Oh, uh, Jim's getting away with it. Maybe Karen and I can go sneak off and exchange text messages. <laughs> yeah, side by side. Yeah, I mean, in middle school, all my friends were emotionally cheating <laughs> left and right. I couldn't resist. Um, and there's that avoidance factor, too. Like you said, I mean, it, it communication, A, I feel like is the answer to every relationship problem. Totally. You're either not doing it or not doing it effectively. Um, if you are avoiding talking about your issues and things that you might feel are lacking in your relationship, that can definitely backslide into finding someone who can be your sounding board. It's hitting those rough patches in your own marriage. And you sort of touched on this earlier in the episode about, you know, you're hitting a rough patch. Maybe you're feeling lonely or unfulfilled somehow. Um, maybe you're just depressed and assume that this is just how marriage is, that there's not good communication and the other person gets you less and less. And so rather than communicating with your person, your significant other, you seek that fulfillment and excitement 
elsewhere. And what's interesting is that Gail Saltz wrote in O Magazine that she's actually seeing more emotional infidelity these days. A, because she says we're so used to being exposed to sexually suggestive material, quote, that there's no longer an obvious verbal or physical line we think we're crossing. So maybe that's that dangerous flirtation of like, stop, stop flirting with other people. Um, but B, she says we are connected with others more than ever before, thanks to technology and social media. So it's entirely possible that you might have some sort of roster of exes or just like people that you're kind of interested in on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, um, that you wouldn't necessarily be keeping in mind if you weren't on social media. And it's become so common that researchers call it remote infidelity, um, And hello, here's a statistic that might surprise. Uh, It seemed awfully high to me. Uh, Wired magazine reported that as many as 42% of Tinder users aren't single. Now, granted, that would technically include me for an evening when I was out with friends, one of (laughs) whom was single, you know, and so we all got on Tinder like in solidarity and it was fun for for an evening. And then I realized that my now husband was also on Tinder. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> we cannot do this. He was on, he got on Tinder that night, I should say. He hadn't I didn't like find him on Tinder. Oh, Lord. But I bet that happens. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, and, and the whole thing, too, of online dating relationships that start and then you go on some dates and you go on to OkCupid or Tinder to shut down your account and then see that they're still active and you're like, what's up with this? Come on now. Uh, but Facebook seems to be really the, the, the playground of remote infidelity. Yeah, well, because Facebook is supposedly so innocent. Like, oh my gosh, here's like Johnny from middle school. Here's Johnny. Um, and like, this is fine, right? I'm just connecting with old classmates because, oh, there's Karen and Jim and Johnny. I love this cast of characters uh, in this episode. Thanks. Apparently they're all like 1950s Bobby Soxers or something. But, you know, Facebook, like your mom's on Facebook, your grandmother's on Facebook. What's the harm? Well, and how often does Facebook probably serve up those you might know? Oh, God, I wonder how many of those are my boyfriend's ex-girlfriends, because <laughs> my boyfriend does get like, you should be friends with. And it's like an ex of mine. And I feel the need to apologize, even though it's not my fault. It's Facebook's stupid algorithm. But thanks, Facebook. So Facebook normalizes and sets the expectation that you're going to keep in touch with people from your past and that you're going to connect with acquaintances. You know, maybe there's someone who's caught your eye in the office or whatever, but it's totally normal to be Facebook friends, right? When, in fact, what you might be doing is setting up a back burner so that if things turn south or if you, you know, if you are just kind of dissatisfied, you feel like your relationship is in a slump and you your eye starts wandering you might just innocently enough kind of uh, reconnect with some people on social media mm-hmm. and have the people on the back burner so that you can you can leap straight from your old relationship that's going down into flames into at least someone else's bed. I think I mean, I have been a back burner. Uh, I years ago now, 
there was this guy that I was really interested in and we flirted all the time and we talked about hanging out, but like it never happened. And it was like, why isn't he asking me out? Like we're both clearly interested in each other. And I had like broached the subject of hanging out and kind of never picked up on it. But I still was like getting heavily flirted with. So like all this cognitive dissonance going on in my head. And we finally hung out and he, you know, uh, we, we were actually playing Scrabble. Uh, mm-hmm. and he, at the end of the night, he like dashed, right? He like ran, basically. He had to leave really soon. I was like, all right. Ended up seeing him at a Braves game, a baseball game, with not only a woman, but a baby. <laughs> My jaw just dropped. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, um, that could explain why he was so weird about like why it took so long for us to a go on a date, but b why he madly dashed out so fast at the end of the night. Um, he never disclosed that he had a baby. Well, I don't even know if it's I don't know what the situation was, but no, he didn't disclose any of that. And like, clearly it was not his sister. That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this woman was clearly not like, oh, I'm in town with my sister. Um, and months and months and months later, you know, I'm dating someone else. I'm happy. It's everything's great. And I get a Facebook message Mm-mm. from dude and he's like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, looks like you're, you know, having a great time and just hope you're still kicking ass and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, I blocked that guy so fast. Like, get, get out of here. And I was telling dude roommate about it and he's like, Oh yeah, that guy's checking to see if you're still on the roster. Um, and so I, I'm pretty sure like I was totally a back burner because what I'm assuming is that he was, so weird because he was in a serious relationship, potentially with a child. I was not privy to any of that information, but he made sure to remain in touch on Facebook until I realized what terrible things were happening. Um, and it's interesting. These researchers in 2014 from the University of Indiana found that men tend to have about twice as many backburners on Facebook as women do, but it's still a widely practiced phenomenon among men and women. Well, and that study also cited a separate survey from one poll, which found nearly half of all women keep in touch with a quote-unquote backup husband. Yeah. Oh, man. So we have, like, our work wife, our backup (laughs) husband. We just got people all over the place. And on average, respondents in relationships said that they had romantic or sexual conversations with two people besides their current partner. I, how do you, I, I don't have the mental energy to like, A, even do that, but B, like, don't you want to address the problems in your relationship? No, because that is harder. That takes speaking words, whereas, Typing words is, you know, we have so much more chutzpah. Yeah, I guess. And and part of this uh, is related to conversations we've had and lots of articles we've read about how supposedly online dating is ruining dating and relationships for everyone all the time forever. And it's not. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. But the theory is that now... Dating is like the Wild West and you have so many options available to you that you never have to settle because there's always 
50 more people in line on Tinder, OkCupid, or whatever, that if you're fed up with someone rather than working on it, you could easily just find the next handsome woman or man on uh, on an online dating site. But I wonder if people would be discouraged from doing that if they knew how you know other how how widespread that is. You know what I mean? It's like you're not special for having a roster of backburners because for all you know, your backburner considers you a backburner. And Ooh. and that's not sexy. No. That is not sexy. But the whole availability of options thing is a factor that researchers and psychologists cite in terms of these emotional infidelity issues and and even sexual infidelity. So not just emotional stuff, but affairs in general, that if you perceive there to be this huge network of available people, you are more likely, if you're already predisposed, whether it's because of relationship problems or whatever, you're more likely to partake. Well, and oh, complicating matters, too, is how we tend to curate our social media mm-hmm. presences. So we're showing how fabulous our life is, how interesting we are. Yeah. And so that probably adds to the idealizing aspect of a lot of this emotional cheating, too, because it's like, oh, my God, look at her. She's on a boat. Then she's eating. <laughs> she's eating so many well-plated meals and... <laughs> There's a parade that she went to. <laughs> what a what a cultured gem I, I I forgot about. Yeah. Karen. Karen and her parades, my God. <laughs> um, well, moving aside how technology facilitates this, we need to unpeel some of the psychological layers that keep us going back to these kinds of dangerous relationships. So we've taken away all of your excuses and your deniability about like, oh, we're just friends. Uh, so, so you know better now. Karen. Karen. Jim. We're looking at you. Johnny. Guys. Johnny. Susan. Um, so despite knowing all of this stuff, it can be hard if you're wrapped up in it to stop, to just stop. Even if you're like, I am threatening my marriage. This is a bad idea. Someone could find out. But it just feels so good. What? Why are people not stopping? It is so addictive. And the thing is, uh, as Athena Stike over at Psych Central wrote about in 2012, it's less about how special this other person is and more about the neurochemicals that reward us in communicating with that person. Yeah, I mean, because we already talked earlier about how, you know, oh, it just it just feels good and it's secretive and it's exciting, especially if you're understimulated, if you feel understimulated in your own relationship. And Stike cites Craig Nakin, who wrote The Addictive Personality, Understanding the Addictive Process and Compulsive Behavior. And he says that addiction is, quote, a pathological love and trust relationship with an object, person, or event. It's the out-of-control and aimless searching for wholeness, happiness, and peace through a relationship with an object or event. And clearly that can apply to when you're filling that gaping emotional hole with alcohol, when you are abusing drugs, when you're shopping obsessively, But that can also apply to all of those happy chemicals flooding your brain when you're having a secret emotional affair. 
So what Nakin says is that we derive pleasure from numbing the pain, shame, or guilt because we've distanced ourselves from taking responsibility for issues happening in our relationships that have led us to this point. Because after all, IRL relationships that we care about carry the risk of pain and failure and have ups and downs. Everybody goes through rough patches. Mm -hmm. But if a person chooses to stray from their relationship, are there predictable differences in whether men and women are going to get physical with someone else or get more emotional? Well, so the stereotype is that women are going to have the emotional affairs, but they're also going to be more upset if their partner has an emotional affair, whereas men are going to get physical and they're also angrier when their partner has a physical sexual affair with someone else. And this has been looked at up, down, and sideways according to gender, sexuality, sexual identity, gender identity, um, all of these different factors. And it's not that actual studies haven't supported the assertion that men, you know, hate sexual affairs more and women hate emotional affairs, but there's a lot of disagreement over why that particular stereotype might be the case for some people. So there was this 2002 article from the American Psychological Association's Monitor magazine that reads, to me anyway, like the most boring, hilarious academic catfight because it pits evolutionary biology theorists against people who are like, can we leave off with the cavemen and women who are fighting with each other in the caves and just deal with, like, the emotional and neurochemical things that are going on? So tell me more. Well, so the EvoBio explanation for why a man might be more upset about physical cheating and a woman might be more upset about uh, emotional cheating is that they argue... Uh, we have evolved with special sensitivities to the type of infidelity that threatens us most. So in this theory, men are more concerned about sexual infidelity because of the risk of inadvertently raising another man's child. Paternity uncertainty. Exactly. Whereas women, they say, are more concerned about emotional infidelity because of the threat of losing their mate's support in raising those children. And so they see the male mate's emotional engagement with another woman as a sign that he's about to pack those caveman suitcases and head out of the cave to somebody else's cave. It's not a euphemism. And that triggers jealousy. But there's also an interesting dynamic when it comes to what men and women, and we're talking in, of course, binary and heteronormative terms here, um, when we are discussing these cave people, uh, there's some interesting dynamics about assumptions that men and women are making about each other. Researchers found that men assume that emotional infidelity is happening in conjunction with sexual infidelity. They just assume they're happening together because, and this is in very stereotypical broad brush terms, but men are more likely to believe that women are not going to get sexually involved with someone they're not emotionally connecting with, whereas women are more likely to assume that men are just having a sexual affair that doesn't necessarily involve emotions. So that's what 
the evolutionary biologists claim. Yes. But then, of course, we have these other researchers who take a look at the methodology and say, okay, these are all based on forced choice surveys where it's like, if pretend that someone's cheating on you, would you rather? Mm -hmm. Um, And they say that that produces false results and that it also glosses over individual circumstances. Clearly, like you said, I mean, it's talking in very broad brush terms. There is no nuance to that whatsoever. And it also claims that sex differences vanish when you remove the need to pick one or the other and have participants focus on a separate task while being asked the question. So you're kind of like distracting your brain Mm -hmm. in an effort to... What? Probably like, like get that gut response. Yes. Of like, what makes you feel terrible inside? Fold these clothes now. Tell me <laughs> your thoughts on affairs. I hate laundry. Um, actually, I love laundry. Um, but they found that when you are like waving a shiny set of keys in front of somebody as you ask them the question, everyone, man, woman, straight, gay, bisexual, whoever, everybody's more upset about sexual infidelity when you just don't Stop to think about it. I buy that. I totally buy that, too, because it almost takes a minute longer if you're speaking in gut terms. It almost takes a minute longer to process, like, wait, you have deep feelings for someone versus, like, oh, you were naked together? Yeah, like, that took no time at all. Whereas <laughs> yeah, this emotional relationship, you would imagine, is like a slow build. Well, and speaking of feelings... This jives with the results of a study from 2004 in Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, which found that sexual infidelity is more associated with anger and blame, whereas emotional infidelity tends to spark hurt feelings. So if we have these like sharper reactions to sexual infidelity... It makes sense that when the keys are being shaken in front of our faces, we're like, don't sleep with other people. (laughs) No, that that amygdala is like, how dare you? Um, Whereas like uh, creating that like intimate relationship with someone else that might not be physical can be devastating because the other person might be sitting there saying, I've been wanting you to talk to me about those things. I'm I'm here. Right. And I mean, either one can shake the foundation of your own identity. Like, oh, my God, I have formed this identity as your partner and as someone who loves you. And here you are telling me that I'm somehow not good enough, whether it's good enough sexually or good enough emotionally. Like that can really obviously do a number on you. Um, and there was a 2014 study in the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy that looked at not only gender identity, but also sexual orientation. And they found that across all of these factors, again, sexual infidelity elicited more distress than emotional infidelity. But women and straight people on the whole had stronger emotions about both sexual and emotional infidelity than men and lesbian and gay people in the survey. It's very interesting. So everybody's real upset about infidelity, but women and straight people are apparently more upset on the whole. Well, and there was a more recent study that came out in January 2016 in the Archives of Sexual Behavior, which found that while more straight men were upset over sexual infidelity than emotional infidelity... And straight women were more upset over emotional infidelity. 
bisexual men and women didn't really differ. I mean, like across the board and, and ditto for lesbians and gay men. It's like, regardless of who they might have been with, they just weren't down with any kind of cheating. Is that kind of what, what they were finding? Whereas there's something about straight people <laughs> where <laughs> we are more Maybe we're enraged. More, it could be that we're more threatened by alternative arrangements. I'm mm, wondering, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm not saying that like, oh, you're bisexual, so you're tolerant of cheating or like, oh, you're a gay man. So you're like cool with your partner having multiple partners. And like, your alternative lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Quotes. I'm totally that's not what I'm insinuating. But what I am saying is that. Perhaps if you are part of that like super heteronormative mainstream, you've been force fed these ideas about what marriage and relationships are supposed to be. And they are supposed to be your true love, your soulmate. They are supposed to be everything to you, your best friend, your accountant and your lawnmower, um, all of these things wrapped up in one. And perhaps LGBTQ people have had to imagine up until, you know, we're finally seeing marriage equality have had to envision alternate possibilities for their relationships. I don't know. I mean, that, that's that's a theory. And I would think attached to that as well are the normative gender roles mm-hmm. that are hitched to our heteronormative straight relationship scripts where it's, you know, you have the men who are supposed to be the accountants and the lawnmowers. You know, like it, guys are supposed to provide one thing mm-hmm. and women are supposed to provide Another, you know, men are supposed to be the the breadwinners. Women cook the bread. They toast the bread. I don't well, know. They butter the bread. They do all the bread things. Um, and there's also the the idea too that masculinity equals more aggressive, anger's more acceptable, and and they want sex all the time. Right. So there is a lot of there, like you said, there's a lot of gender norm stuff, baggage, and reactions wrapped up in the survey results. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of straight folks in these studies are uh, operating out of stereotypical assumptions. And maybe not really communicating well with each other. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think that this also gets into the need for not just communicating about relationshipy things with your partner, but being able to communicate, obviously, about sexual and things. I, and expectations. Yeah, and um, boundaries. Yeah. You know? Um, so what kind of real talk do you need to have if emotional infidelity is happening? How do you, how do you fix it? Well, so a lot of this is advice coming from Gail Saltz again, but the first thing you want to do, uh, is take responsibility. Don't try to live in denial land where you're like, no, we're just friends. Stop it. And don't blame any infidelity or like, emotional cheating or anything on your partner. Don't turn around and be like, well, if you had just mowed the lawn more or if you had just brought me some chicken home from the grocery store, mm. I would not have done this. No, be a, be an adult, be a grown up and take responsibility for your actions and also end it. Hello. No, you cannot stay friends and keep the person in your life or on your Facebook account if you have committed emotional infidelity with them and you want to keep your significant other. It's different if you guys are breaking up, but. And the kind of brutal honesty that a lot of therapists recommend in these situations where, I mean, you have to come out, you know, and ask the questions you need to ask, be straightforward about what's going on, which can, which can hurt for mm-hmm. sure. Um, 
But that's also where we can look to people who are in successful open relationships or polyamorous relationships and learn some lessons because these people have emotional and physical relationships with people outside of a primary unit. And they operate within an environment of radical honesty and even uh, compersion, which is a feeling of happiness when your partner finds someone that that they like and maybe want to have sex with i didn't i don't think i knew there was a word for that yeah there is that's more within like the uh polyamory lexicon mm. um and while i'm not saying that the answer is for everyone to open up their relationships but i'm saying like those kinds of it's not about the sex i guess is what i'm trying to say is that there can be perfectly healthy and happy satisfying long-term relationships that don't uh, that don't require monogamy mm-hmm. because what we require ultimately is honest communication right exactly and so when your partner has had an emotional affair and your relationship's not open, and that's not going to fly, and hopefully you guys have already communicated about your wants, needs, and expectations around monogamy or not. Um, you know, like Kristen said, there are some tough questions, and, and, and you know, it's best to stay away from the gritty, nitty-gritty details, uh, you know, and that's especially if there's been sexual infidelity. But, you know, asking your partner, what are you getting from this interaction? Um, you know, have I done something? Uh, is there something that you've wanted to talk to me about? Is there something you're not getting from our relationship? You know, is your self-esteem or your sense of self suffering? Um, and take heart that it doesn't have to be the end of your relationship unless you want it to be. Right. And you can, right. You can rebuild. It obviously takes a lot of time, openness and accountability uh, there will be tears and possibly some panic attacks. But if you guys are dedicated to working through those difficult patches, then I think a better, more open communication relationship is on the other side of that. Um, also, thank you for giving me the name of uh, my memoir, <laughs> which will be There Will Be Tears and Panic Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Keep an eye out for that in, in your local bookstore, <laughs> friends. Um, well, is it time, I think, to to talk to listeners? Yes. We want to hear from you about this issue because um, I think it's super common. And I think it's super common for people to hide it away. And um, it, it's something that we we need to be more aware of and be more comfortable talking about. Because the thing is, humans are fallible. Yeah. People are attracted to more than one person a lot of times. And... Rough patches happen. Stress can, you know, be devastating to a relationship. So we just, we just need to be communicating more. We just need to be honest. Stop trying to be so perfect. Yeah. Right. And, and, and block those shady exes on Facebook. Seriously. You know who you are. So with that, send us your letters. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can send them. Uh, we will, as always, 
respect your anonymity if you would prefer that for a more sensitive topic like this. Uh, or if you just want to shout it out to the world, you can tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. All right. Well, speaking of relationships, uh, I have a letter here from Amy in response to our lesbian bed death episode. Uh, she says, I, uh, blah, blah, blah. She says, as a queer cis woman, my friends and I have often joked about the bed death thing, and one of my favorite images when it's mentioned comes from Rick and Steve, this amazing short-lived cartoon that was on Logo for a while, where Kirsten and Dana, the perfect lesbian couple, one is butch, one is femme, they want a baby, etc., etc., attend the funeral for the bed (laughs) of their friends, Ebony and Ivory. Seriously hilarious. But in all seriousness, my spouse and I have chatted about this a lot because having now been together for five years, married for nearly two, and trying to make a baby, least sexy process ever for queer folks, and so incredibly invasive, and that's an episode for you, and trying out new medications, our sex life has dwindled substantially. We ask ourselves whether we mind, and the answer most of the time is no. I think being raised female and being allowed to access our emotions more readily than many cis straight men are, quote, allowed, we are able to find intimacy in ways other than through sex. We talk, we kiss, we cuddle, we flirt, we are touching, like, all of the time, and it satisfies a big part of that intimate urge and need that, having been in a, quote, straight relationship previously, I would have only felt that I had to have sex to satisfy. Many of my friends express similar feelings about the lack of what we typically consider sex in our relationships. Intimacy and closeness are achieved in so many other ways, just by being in touch with our connections to our partners, that just because we don't necessarily orgasm while engaging in intimacy doesn't mean we're missing out on some essential part of our relationships. Sex is great, but what is the goal in the end? If it is closeness and eroticism and intimacy, then I get it all night long, folks. Well, thank you, Amy, and good luck and congrats on the baby making. Well, I've got a letter here from Elia, who writes, I'm a pansexual person that came out from a previous relationship with a man for 10 years. My fiance is the first woman I've been with, and while I got into it not knowing a thing about real female same-sex physical relationships, I have to say, this is the best sex I've ever had. We just passed year three, and things are every bit as spicy as before. Yes, we do it much, much less, but if anything, we are enjoying each other more as we explore and create a safe space to try all sorts of things. Entering year four, I feel confident it will stay strong. Well, I'm so happy to hear that, Ilya, and everybody else, we want to hear from you too. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn more about emotional cheating, head on over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.